The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. better get healthy and help animals welcome to main street vegan with your host victoria moran i was thinking about the state of the world not the world outside my window but the world that i get through news channels and the internet and i found myself profoundly saddened and also really powerless. What on earth can I do about these huge issues when I don't think I can do anything? Well, the question must have been posed pretty well because I got a very clear response from my inner self or the universe or my higher power. And what it said was that beyond just calling people in power and signing petitions and sending money, What I can do about any situation over which I have no power is to live my life profoundly well, to do the next thing indicated in my day with a special preference for those things that are difficult or frightening, and that somehow, in a way I might not understand, that's going to ripple out and give a little bit more ability to people who can directly affect those events to do something about them. Now, do I know for certain that that is the absolute gospel truth? I do not, but I know it's what I got, and it's what I'm going with. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran. I'm your host for the Main Street Vegan Program. Such a pleasure to have you with us today. And you know what we're going to be doing? We are going to be solving a dilemma. Because if you're interested in health and living well, I wonder if you're like me in that you have been perplexed by this concept of inflammation. We hear that it affects almost everything. We hear that if a disease says itis, then it's inflammation. 
And yet we also hear that rheumatoid arthritis is autoimmune and osteoarthritis comes from wear and tear. Where does the inflammation come in? I'm confused. Well, if you are too, neither one of us is going to be confused for much longer because we have with us today, Dr. Jothi Rao. She is the co-author with Dr. Monica Agarwal of Body on Fire, how inflammation triggers chronic illness and the tools we have to fight it. Dr. Rao is a graduate of Rutgers University. She did her medical residency at Tufts New England Medical Center, and she's been in clinical practice since 1997. She completed medical acupuncture training in 2000 and a fellowship in functional medicine in 2013. She is medical director of the Shakti Health and Wellness Center and is board certified in internal medicine and anti-aging and regenerative medicine. Welcome, Dr. Jyothi Rao. Thank you so much for having me. It is an absolute pleasure. I invited you on because your book is fabulous and I love it when we have medical doctors who can really explain what's going on with our bodies and with health but then the more I learned about you and I find out what an incredible holistic person you are and we'll get into talking about yoga and that sort of thing in the second half it just gives me a whole lot of joy because we do think of ourselves here as the spiritual and spirited vegan podcast (laughs) so to have someone who's got the body and the spirit going on is always a special pleasure. So let's start with you and your story. Were you uh, plant-based from the crib or did things happen that changed you as life went on? Uh, things happened as it changed me. As, as I think um, we all should kind of pay attention to what our bodies are telling us. So I mean, I've always been a vegetarian. Uh, growing up in an Indian family, we ate a lot of Indian food, which was a lot of lentils and beans and rice and vegetables. Uh, so that was a non-issue, but I did have a lot of dairy. And as I was going through my life, many aspects of it with the stress of medical school and starting a family and all of that, I just started to see my body start to not be as resilient. And uh, one of the first things I realized, which we did not, did not learn in medical school, was how powerful our food was. And I didn't realize that until, uh, except by accident when one time during one of my uh, very busy weeks at work, I forgot to, I didn't have a chance to go grocery shopping and I would be the type of eater that would eat um, small meals frequently. If I didn't have breakfast, I was very, very grumpy and irritable and I had to have breakfast. You know, I couldn't even do fasting blood work because I was so um, fixated by breakfast and not, you know, missing it. So I had that kind of a lifestyle where I was just kind of eating and then I would crash, you know, like two hours later, I would kind of just uh, want to eat again and that went on and on for for many years and I became insulin dependent not sorry in that insulin resistant sorry I became pre-diabetic um, and so that was kind of a shocker for someone like me who exercises I do triathlons I'm a yoga practitioner and you know I started meditating and all of the things I was doing was not helping my insulin resistance and so I forgot to go to the grocery store didn't have my mozzarella sticks my yogurts um, and then I just felt better. I felt like I wasn't tired. I wasn't getting my allergies as bad. It was one week, and it took me a whole week to realize that I actually felt so much better off my dairy. And so I started looking into all of that. In the same time frame, I have been I had been working with Dr. Agarwal 
who, as you know, like for people who've read the book, she has rheumatoid arthritis, and she had discovered how dairy was the source of a lot of inflammation for her. So we had both started talking about this, and I delved more into the research of nutrition and started my fellowship and learned that, you know, the role of the microbiome, the role of the the inflammation associated with dairy. And so it switched me. And so part of my journey has been a personal journey with just energy. You know, everyone's looking for getting more energy, but my allergies were amazing. I lost, I had terrible seasonal allergies, which are almost non-existent at this point. So it was a little bit of a journey through just feeling my body and feeling what, uh, what was working for me. Oh, that's wonderful. The, the giving up dairy seems to be the thing that does it for everybody. You know, people say, did you feel different going from being an omnivore to a vegetarian? Well, not really. But when the dairy went, I mean, everything changed. In, in yeah. my case, I just stopped sniffing and sneezing all the time. Yeah. So yep. mm-hmm. big difference. So yeah. uh, how about the book? You you and Dr. Agarwal were working together. How did that come about? Yeah, so we actually met, um, we actually had done training together at New England Medical Center together, but we were several, uh, seven or eight years apart and met again through common friends. Uh, we had similar interests. We were both very interested in uh, physical activity, community-based um activities such as bike-a-thons and walks and, and to get our patients moving physically. So we arranged um, arranged for something around a local lake to have a, like a 5K walk, which sounds really simple, but it would, it's very shocking how many people are scared to walk a 5K, which translates into about 3.3 miles. Um, and we, we started working on little projects together, and we also found ourselves trying to find out solutions for our patients with hypertension you know, a couple asked me, a, a husband and wife came into my office one day and asked me, you know, if you don't want him to eat salt because he has hypertension, what what can we do to make this food taste better? And I had no answers for that. I did not even know anything about flavoring, spices, the role of, you know, different uh, using uh, oil alternatives or anything that would kind of take us away from, quote, unquote, tasty food to healthy food. Um, and so Monica and I started talking about this, and I did a little workshop for physician, female physicians in my home, and we did a cooking class together, and we were all talking about ideas from our different backgrounds to add flavor to foods that wasn't salt. And then that night we talked about how excited we were. I mean, this was the first time in a long time we were excited about something in medicine that wasn't a prescription, you know, it wasn't something that was wrote, oh, go diet and exercise. And so we we're pretty jazzed about it, and we started talking about writing a book on maybe the 10 things we think as physicians that are the most impactful lifestyle changes that a patient can make. And so that was kind of how the book was born in terms of our, our passion towards giving people tools, our patients tools for our limited time we had with them was 10 minutes, you know, on an insurance-based model. So we needed to give them resources of how to live their life, their best life, um, and get away from this polypharmacy and using surgery as a solution for everything and, you know, things that were reversible. Um, So we, yeah, that's how it kind of started. That's so cool. And I'm so glad it did. So everybody, Body on Fire, you've got to get this book. It's very practical. It has illustrations. It has little charts that are just so helpful. It's got lists. It's got checklists. You are going to love it. So to the topic at hand, Dr. Rao, what is inflammation? And 
So in what yeah. sorry. are we supposed to be doing about it? So, you know, that's pretty much what the book is about in the sense of like our, so there are so many tools. Inflammation is an irritation. It's an irritation. It's an itis, like you said. Um, it is based on our immune system being unhappy. And our immune system is there to protect us from foreign things. So it's, it, it recognizes ourself and it rec- recognizes foreign bodies as well. So sometimes when the immune system is working well, it will attack things that are, um, in, you know, an insult to our skin. If we get hurt, it'll be an itis of our knee or an ankle. And on the skin, it looks like redness and pain. Um, inside when we get inflammation, you know, it's a different story because it affects our organs. It affects the, um, the way, the efficiency of our body. So inflammation in the immune system dysfunction can be underactive because you are not able to fight off infections or cancer cells, or it can be overactive like autoimmune disease, um, things that attack themselves, degenerative joint disease also you had mentioned is a form of inflammation in the joint space. But we are learning more and more that that's not just about, you know, wear and tear. It's also about the fact of what we're doing to our bodies. For example, um, it's it's kind of the balance between our stressors and our resources. If we get too many things that are stressful to our body, like poor sleep, our mental stress, you know, bad food, processed foods, bad water, lifestyle changes like sedentary lifestyle, Um, environmental toxins and mental stress, they tip our scale for the immune system to not be as functional to help fight the bad guys. And when we have this imbalance, which we'll get into the sympathetic parasympathetic too, that imbalance between what we can do to keep ourselves like exercise and yoga and clean water, meditation, good sleep, a good plant-based diet, those are things that are our tools that balance out the toxins like smoke and and our bad, you know, bad air quality, those are things that balance out that. When those resources are outweighed by the stressors, inflammation starts to start in our body. So we have this oxidative stress, the stress of these things affecting the cells of our body, and that generates inflammation. That generates bad communication with the immune system that starts to release cytokines and inflammatory markers that then results in an itis. Um, And that itis, for example, is, you know, like we said, maybe a rash on the skin, but an itis in your brain is anxiety. An itis could be memory loss. An itis in the body could be fatigue, uh, weight gain around the midsection. You know, these are all signs of inflammation. These are all signs that things are not working um, efficiently. So we want to kind of pull back and look at what are our tools. First is to try to get away from these stressors as much as possible, but we all can't move to the Himalayas, right? We live in an environment. We have certain water restrictions. We, have, we are in charge of what we put in our mouth. We are in charge of how we think, which is really important. How do we support our body movement? How do we sleep? So these are the things, the things that we have control over um, we should work on to try to control the inflammation. So what diseases specifically could we say, oh, somebody has that, there's a lot of inflammation going on? Almost every illness in the medical textbook has a component of inflammation because, again, the immune system dysfunction, especially in the last couple of years with all the COVID issues and the virus issues, you know, we're so aware of what our immune system does. And when our immune system doesn't function properly, whether it's too low or too high, 
it creates inflammation. Um, so that is part of every disease process that we know. Most diseases, most illnesses um, all have a large component of inflammation with them. So one thing I want to just talk about is this role of the nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. This system is there to protect us from our stress response. And stressors are not just mental stressors, they're all the stressors that we talked about, the pollution, bad diet, the sedentary lifestyle, they're all stressful. And when the scale is tipped, when you are not actively um, balancing that, those stressors, you start to invoke the stress response, which is the sympathetic drive. When your sympathetic system kicks in, it's your fight or flight. It's your heart rate goes up, it's your adrenaline, it's your um, blood pressure goes up, it's your fact that you can um, mobilize your cortisol, and that's a good thing. It's not always bad because stress moves us. Stress actually helps us evolve. Um, stress also tells us when there's danger, so it's a good system to have. But, but the problem with it is it's always on right now. People are stressed out about absolutely everything. In order to balance the stress response, we have the parasympathetic system. The parasympathetic system is our rest and our digest system. That system really, really is, is important because that brings us back to the role of what the gut does, the GI system. And the GI system is important because that's where 80% of our immune cells live. Remember, the immune system is what causes inflammation. When you upset the immune system, you create inflammation. So our gut, if it's not happy, what does our gut have? It has the microbiome. It has um, all of our immune system. It has even most of our serotonin, which keeps us happy. So it is really important to nourish the gut, which is why, first and foremost, diet can be very important, right? What you put in your mouth and when you eat is very, very important. So um, inflammation, so resting and digesting. So the rest part is mindfulness. It's having a meditative state. Um, see, our thoughts, negative thoughts create inflammation in our body. So staying uh, positive, staying optimistic, uh, doing things to move our body because we are, we're not meant to sit all day. You know, these are our tools for the parasympathetic to try to outweigh or kind of bring us back into balance from the constant sympathetic overdrive. And when we're in constant sympathetic overdrive and our parasympathetic shut down, we create something called oxidative stress. And that oxidative stress turns into inflammation. So it's a little bit of a balance issue of knowing what our stressors are and also balancing them with our lifestyle choices and then listening to our body to say, okay, what is it that I'm missing? What else can I do to kind of keep my body in balance? That is fascinating. So why don't you just hear a little bit early in the interview, give us a list of a few things. If, if someone walked into your office and you knew that they had inflammatory uh, situations going on, mm -hmm. what would you ask them to do? So first and foremost, we talk about food. So diet is very, very important. So for example, both of us had mentioned, so say someone walks in with a sinus infection or a cough you know, I would talk to them about the foods that they're eating, especially the inflammatory foods, such as dairy. Um, and the most inflammatory foods, and I know most of your audience is plant-based, but the gluten can be inflammatory for some people, not everyone, but gluten can be um, an issue for a subset of patients. Um, nightshade vegetables can be a, an issue for a subset of patients with pain, say osteoarthritis. Nightshade vegetables are your eggplants, your tomatoes, your peppers. 
Um, so they're not bad for everyone, and I really do not like to limit foods unless it's absolutely necessary for people, but that subgroup can be associated with discomfort for some. So if you have coming in with GI issues, we talk a lot about, you know, what are the foods you're eating? Are they processed? Have they been, do they have a lot of preservatives? Are they genetically modified? Um, do you, are you eating enough fiber? So fiber is very, very important for lots of things. It helps us, you know, grow the good guys, grow our good microbiome. So we love to have people kind of understand the role of diet no matter what people are coming in with, whether it's a sinus infection or a knee pain or an abdominal issue. I mean, obviously, it depends on how urgent it is. If someone's coming in with chest pain and they're having a heart issue, I'm not going to talk to them about food. But after the current crisis is over, we would talk about things like, do you sleep enough? Is there a mindfulness practice you have? Do you have a yoga practice? Things that calm down that sympathetic drive, things that lower the blood pressure, things that lower your heart rate. We would definitely want to spend some time on different avenues to support that parasympathetic system. So I can see why someone with a nightshade sensitivity would be aware of that. They would notice something going on in their joints, something just wouldn't feel right. But with a gluten sensitivity, if someone is not <clears throat> um, someone who has celiac disease, what, what would tip you off that maybe gluten was a problem for that person? So one of the issues is uh, growth. So some people who don't have... Um, Adequate growth can have a celiac issue, malabsorption. They don't absorb nutrients like vitamin D, sometimes iron, um, and that can that those deficiencies can trigger a question of is gluten a problem for you when people aren't absorbing certain nutrients. Um, other things like inflammation, like rashes on the body, can suggest gluten sensitivity and celiac. Now, gluten sensitivity and celiac are different entities, but they can have overlapping symptoms. Um, other things are brain fog, things, you know, things that affect your brain. You eat something and you feel like outside of the gut, not like a lactose intolerance, but you're, you're having some issues outside the gut, like you're, you're tired, your brain isn't functioning properly, um, you feel overwhelming fatigue. Those kinds of, those kinds of things are clues uh, to try to help us diagnose uh, gluten sensitivity. But for me, it's their history. Sometimes it's miscarriages in a woman's history. Um, sometimes it's the fact that they're iron deficient for no apparent reason, like a male who doesn't menstruate and they're not losing blood. They shouldn't really be iron deficient, especially if they're eating a healthy diet. So that would clue me into trying to test for these um, allergies or sensitivities to foods. That is fascinating. So um, you talk in the book about recharging. I love that word because <laughs> we're recharging everything yeah. else all the time. We may as well recharge ourselves. How does it work with the body? Yeah, so that's the parasympathetic system. So your charge rate is you're working on your rest and digest. So when you start to heal, if there is a large separation from your sympathetic and parasympathetic, if you're constantly worried, if you're constantly running, not eating properly, or even just the state of, I eat a beautiful diet, but I don't sleep that well, your body is tired and it's overrun. And what you need to do is nourish that parasympathetic system, rest and digest. So you go back and you see, okay, am I eating? In, you can do anything for the digestion. You can change your diet. You can change when you eat. Some people do really well not having breakfast, you know, fasting for 12 to 14 hours, 16 hours a day, 
um, that was really helpful for me to try to change my insulin resistance uh, to try to get me to manage my sugars better and manage my insulin better. So I went from someone who needed breakfast, I had to eat breakfast, to now I don't eat till 1 o'clock. Um, and that was a slow process, but I feel so much better. My mind is clearer. You know, it really depends on how. So that recharges me. By not eating, recharges me. Um, when I when I I still eat the same amount of calories, but I do it in a smaller window of time. So like an eight-hour window. Um, and other for other people, it's the sleep, it's the stress, it's the thoughts that they're having. They're afraid of so many things. They're fearful. They're anxious. That is constantly sending you know inflammation signals to the body. So we want to work on our brain, our thoughts, our optimism, our attitude, those are all things that nourish that parasympathetic system and decrease inflammation in our body. So you can start from any point. You can start with your diet or you can start with yoga or you can start with meditation, but it's all working on the parasympathetic system. So it's very exciting to know that there's not just one answer. And I think the trick is to try to find out what your issue is because we lecture often at, you know, plant-based communities and I always get people coming up to us saying, I have the most perfect diet, I eat so well, there's not a bad food anywhere on my list, I don't know why I feel badly. But then you have to look at the other aspect, are you rested, are you stressed, are you doing the things you can do, are you moving enough, are you sitting in a chair all day? You know, so there are many ways to approach a problem by just looking at this chart of, you know, your resources and your stresses, trying to balance all of it out. And you do such a good job of that in the book with all these wonderful lists and you have a prescription at the end of the chapter yeah. so other people actually have something that they can do. So just in our last minute um, before we go to break, can you just address spices quickly? I'm loving those antioxidant spices. Yeah, so you know that was the reason we started writing the book was because of the question of what can I make, how can I not use salt because salt... We, you know, as a society, we're all eating way too much salt. So we want to limit the salt intake, um, especially if there's processed foods, right? So, but even at home, there are so many ways to flavor our food without salt. And we don't also want to use a lot of oil. So, the, you know, what are the options? Well, spices Let's stop with are, options. I kind of misjudged that minute. It was more like 30 seconds. Oh, sorry. We're going to come back with some really great spices. Everybody, stay with us through these messages. We will be back with Dr. Jyothi Rao and Body on Fire. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. If you happen to be sitting down right now, but I'll bet you're not. I'll bet you're driving or you're on the treadmill or you are walking the world's most perfect dog. Um, But we're going to put all this information on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net as well. But I do want to just uh, verbally get out there how you can find my wonderful guest today, Dr. Jothi Rao. You can find at RaoWellness.com. That's R-A-O. And she is also on Facebook at Shakti, S-H-A-K-T-H-I, Health and Wellness, and also uh, Shakti Health underscore Wellness on Instagram. I am just loving Instagram these days. I'm still trying to run to catch up and get the reels and the IGTV and all that, but it's just such a sweet platform. People seem to be nicer there than on some of the platforms. Do you find that? So uh, I'm over there at Victoria Moran Author. Would love to have you uh, check in and say hi. And of course, you can also find out more about what is happening with Main Street Vegan at MainStreetVegan.net, and that is all also where our show notes hang out. So if you want more information about this wonderful book, Body on Fire, How Inflammation Triggers Chronic Illness and the Tools We Have to Fight It, and also the URLs for Dr. Rao, you can find those there. Uh, Also, I want to invite everyone to the Compassion Consortium. That is the fourth Sunday of every month. 4 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. You can get all the details at CompassionConsortium.com. And this is a spiritual center for people who care about animals and the planet. So if you are vegan or vegetarian, if you hold that ahimsa ethic in your heart and you want to be with other people who feel the same way, whether you have another um, home for your spirituality or not, uh, we'd love to be your second home. So do check us out, CompassionConsortium.org. And our guest coming up this particular Sunday, if you're listening uh, close to the time that uh, we're doing the live show, um, the fourth, uh, that would be, let's see, one, two, three, four. I have to look at a calendar. Uh, August 22nd, uh, 2021, our guest is going to be everybody's favorite rabbi, Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Oh, my goodness. What an incredible person. He's been on this program a few times. Everybody loves him. And we're going to have a great time on um this Sunday coming up. Now back to this wonderful interview with this wonderful physician, Jothi Rao, MD, co-author of Body on Fire. When we went to break, you were talking about spices. So let's just get spicy here. Right. So, you know, so the role of spices is that they they have certain, um, these phytonutrients, which are specifically wonderful nutrients that are found in nature that are very, very helpful for our body. And spices sometimes are the only place you can find some of them. For example, curcumin is only found in turmeric. Um, you know, piperin is only found in black pepper. And these are anti-inflammatories. They protect our cells. They help our brain function. They help our uh, sugar metabolism. They lower inflammation and pain. So some of these uh, these Spices are so, so beneficial, 
For example, cloves are probably the strongest antioxidant that you can find in any food. And so it is powerful. It, but, you know, how do we cook with cloves? How do we, you know, can we put it in water? You can put these spices in water and liquids as well as in, you know, foods. That's why they're so versatile. You just need a pinch of it. You don't need a lot. And, uh, you know, I love rosemary because rosemary you can throw on where when you're grilling. You know, grilling and the excessive heat and high temperatures can cause damage um, free radicals in our food that can damage our cells. So when you throw rosemary on them, you can reduce that rate and you can help with, you know, these these processes that can be detrimental to our bodies as well. So, you know, these spices go a long way. Not only do they make our foods taste great, but they are actually fighting fires in our body. So they're very, very, um, very unique in the sense that they're very small quantities. Sometimes you can only get these special ingredients through spices and remember back in the day, you know, wars were fought over them. They were very medicinal when they worked. Even now I tell people to grab ginger when they have nausea. Ginger works amazingly well. Cloves, clove oil um, works amazingly well for tooth pain. You, know, you can put uh, clove oil directly on an um, affected tooth and it starts to reduce that inflammation. So, And, of course, turmeric can be used for all sorts of things like any pain and inflammation in the body. So there's a lot of roles for these. Wonderful. And once you start using them, I've told people on the show before, I used to keep all my kind of December spices in the freezer. So the cloves mm-hmm. and allspice and mace and cinnamon and that I would get them out for hot cider and cookies you know, mm-hmm. once a year. Yeah. And now I'm just buying them all the time uh, because yeah. I've learned Amazing. that they're food. They're not just fun. So um, you are a yogi. So tell us a little bit about that and uh, how the rest of us can partake of the wonders of yoga. So one of the things, uh, you know, I grew up with my father doing yoga when I was a when I was a girl. He would do all sorts of postures and asanas, and I, I never appreciated it until I started going through medical school residency. It started my own practice, so my stress levels got to the point where I was. It was so high, you know, I started to try to look for things that would help it, and that's really when I started a yoga practice. Um, I just want to tell everyone that yoga is a broad umbrella term that can incorporate not just postures or asanas that we call it, but also where we use things like meditation um, and also breathing techniques called pranayam. So yoga is all of it. So you can do yoga even when you're weightlifting. You can do yoga with any other workout because you can pace your breathing. And that is a yoga practice. A yoga practice can also look like a meditation practice. It doesn't always have to be postures, but all of it, connects our mind and our body together and it restores the parasympathetic system again and it recharges our body and it fuels that basically it's like plugging yourself into you know your phone into the charger because it is absolutely wonderful healing tool for our body so any of those paths are amazing i started my practice with more of a a yoga practice with asanas um, because i was looking to change and increase my muscle mass because I was doing too many things that were more cardio. I started a yoga practice and instantly fell in love with it. In the beginning, it was too slow for me, so I had to find a yoga practice that was um, very much more like, you know, like a hot yoga or a workout type of yoga. That's because that's what I was used to. Now I crave the gentle yogas, the restorative yogas. I do it as a daily practice. It's not a, it's not a workout class anymore for me. It's a morning routine where I'm just doing sun salutations 
But what changed that for me was adding meditation and mindfulness. That was just blow me away transformative from the first session I took where I didn't even realize how powerful meditation was. Uh, So I I felt such a calm. I felt like I was on vacation. It doesn't happen right away, but it does have this potential for our brain and our minds to connect and everything just like, you know, calms down. It slows down in this hectic world. We need these tools to help us, you know, just come back into balance. So I, I, I feel like yoga for, uh, for me and my patients, I tell them it's a daily practice. Anything you want to do, if you have the time for asanas and pranayama and for meditation, wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. But don't stop because you don't have it. Start with breathing, like four, seven, eight practice. Breathe in for four, hold it for seven, exhale for eight. That recharges your vagus nerve and slows your body down. It slows down your heart rate, slows down your blood pressure, it reduces your cortisol. So these are things that you can do anywhere. You can do it at your desk. You can do it, you know, when you're moving from your car into the office or checking an email. You can start incorporating these small yogi practices and then you will absolutely be committed to finding more options because it feels so good when you start to, you know, incorporate these mind-body techniques. You say that with such conviction. I think anybody who's never tried it will probably want to now. So I for somebody so. who's new okay. to meditation, where do mm-hmm. they start? Yeah, meditation, you know, um, when I first was introduced to it, and, and, you know, when we're racing and our mind is full of, you know, checklists and lots of thoughts coming and going, it's, you know, the thought of like slowing your mind down is very scary. So I oftentimes don't want to think of it that way in the sense of that's what everybody thinks of meditation, but it's really about non-judgmentally viewing your thoughts. So you can sit there and view all those thoughts coming, but you don't have to emotionally react to it. And I found one of the best ways to start meditating was through these apps. Um, my patients love Headspace. Um, Andy Puttacombe, which who is, who's got an amazing voice, he's done a great job with Headspace. And it's a 10-minute meditation, you know, so you don't even have to use a lot of your time. A lot of it is guided imagery or his voice telling you when to breathe. Uh, I think that's a lot easier when you're kind of told what to do instead of just sit there and focus on a sound or focus on your breath. That's, I feel, a little bit more challenging. But if someone takes me on a guided imagery ride, it's a lot easier for me to start with and listen to and kind of get hooked. Um, Headspace is a wonderful app. And Netflix has actually incorporated a series for meditation combined with Headspace and Andy Puttacombe. And they've put together a series, I believe, of six small videos of 20 minutes each on introduction to meditation. And I think it's a wonderful tool for people to kind of get started, especially in this time of so much stress and a lot of, um, you know, there's just so much out of our control right now that it is a wonderful way to start the process. Um, so I would, I would guide people really to try breathing techniques. Um, like I said, if you, if you didn't want to do meditation, you could start with yoga. You can start with the different types of breathing techniques, like the intranasal breathing technique. There's the Wim Hof technique. There's so many different techniques that you can do breathing. And then you can come back to, you know, slowing down your mind if you want or listen to a guided imagery Uh, whatever you want to do. But Headspace is a wonderful app to get started. Great. And we will put all those things in the show notes so that people can follow up. So as a physician, what, what kind of medical benefit 
do people get from from these practices? You talk in the book about optimism. What does that really do for us physically? So physically, you know, just going back to yoga, yoga not only decreases our stress, which actually decreases our inflammation in our body, it also tends to regulate our adrenal hormone cortisol. And, you know, cortisol is worth mentioning because a lot of things we have measured techniques and and, um, uh, things like meditation and yoga, we've measured on what it does to cortisol. And cortisol isn't bad or good. But when we are constantly in sympathetic overdrive, cortisol tends to be elevated. And when cortisol is elevated, it causes a lot of things that I treat as an internist on a regular basis that are problematic to people. So when cortisol is very high and unopposed, it starts to promote fat in the midsection. So you get you know, fat in the belly area, which a lot of people tell me, you know, I don't know how this got here. I never had this before. Um, and that, if, you, if that leaves to be unchecked, you get things like metabolic syndrome, which are then associated with cholesterol problems and low HDL and also um, lipid issues. And so there are lots of things that affect our sugar. Cortisol also uh, causes an increase in insulin resistance, which can then lead to things like diabetes. Um, you know, 80 million people in America have prediabetes or their risk factor, their high risk for getting diabetes. So we need to be very aggressive about this sugar regulation. And so it's not just about what you eat, when you eat, but it's also about what your stress level is, how much visceral fat you have. This is the fat that's inflammatory. Um, so we need to regulate the cortisol because cortisol kind of hinders those pathways. It also dysregulates our immune system. If it's kept in check, and people can understand this when they're stressed out, they're not sleeping, their immune system doesn't do well. So immune dysfunction, not being able to fight off infections as well, things like that can actually increase when your cortisol is off. And it can also directly affect our lining of our gut where you you can increase intestinal permeability or leaky gut by having high levels of cortisol. So we want to manage cortisol and any mindfulness practice, any yoga, meditation, they can do that. They can lower your cortisol. So right there, you have a way to lower your blood pressure, your heart rate, regulate, you know, control your insulin regulation, um, help your immune system, help promote sleep, which are all fabulous for keeping us well. And that's just, you know, that's just with yoga. Meditation does the same thing. Meditation also makes us super resilient to stress. So if we if we're a meditator and we're walking into a very bad time in our life turbulent life we're not going to be able, we're not going to be as affected by that stress as if we weren't meditating it makes our genes more resilient it um, grows our telomeres which are these end caps which help us age slower these end caps on our genes if they're large they protect us from damage to the dna and the chromosomes and those things are very very important so things that grow our chromosomes help us sorry, our telomeres help us age gracefully. So you can actually age better, which is what we want, longevity, and we want to be growing older, but we also want to be well and growing older. We want to have preservation of our mind, our vision, our hearing, our structure, and we don't want to be, you know, 100 years old and kind of in a chair or incapacitated or not being independent, right? That's not what we want. So we want to be kind of living our best life as long as possible, and that's what these techniques will help us do. 
Oh, I love it. Now, when I think of techniques like that, what they all seem to have in common is one pointedness. And yet what life on earth today looks like so often for so many of us is multitasking. It's like we're all trying to get into a circus as jugglers. So what's wrong with multitasking and how can we do less of it? So multitasking is actually not great for our brain. It's very stressful for our brain. We basically, it's not multitasking, it's doing multiple things inefficiently. So when we are more mindful and we're doing one task at a time, not only do we do a better job at it, but our brain thanks us for it and it's calmer and we can actually get it done in a better time frame. So it's good all around to be very kind of focused and in the moment and mindful as opposed to being distracted and trying to do all those things. I Trust me, I was a very big um, multitasker in the sense of I was very proud of it. I would get, you know, just do all of these things at the same time. And it is actually terrible for your memory. It's very bad for your memory. It's over time. It can be very taxing on the whole mind-body connection and probably increases inflammation. So we want to be quieter. We want to be slower in the sense of doing one thing at a time, doing it efficiently. We want more periods of silence. You know, sit and do nothing. It's very challenging to do, but it's actually good for us. And having periods where we're just journaling, introspection, it grows our optimism. I didn't touch on optimism, but optimism is one of those things that you know, when you find out how great it is, it's like, why aren't we doing more of this? Why aren't we spending teaching our kids how to do this in school? Because it is the one fundamental thing that is so powerful to help us age better. So let me just step back and say optimism for me, and I didn't know this, um, was I thought it was, you were born with it. Either you're an optimist or you're a pessimist. It turns out that that's only 40% of the truth. 60% of it is not related to your genes. So you can cultivate an optimism because optimism is associated with longevity, 11% longer. People live 11% longer. They tend to be healthier. And I don't know if it's because you are trying, you know, you're in a good mental space that you make better choices. We're not really clear on why optimism leads to longevity, but it does also makes us resilient. It also helps us with the sense of wellness and it allows us to take part in life where we are actually living a good life, a well life, not just a life where we're not sick, but a life where we are having like our best life, our well-being life. And that's the happiness factor. That's positive psychology. It leads to more positive emotions. It leads to us being engaged in our work, engaged in our family. It leads to good relationships. You know, so many things that we value as associated with a good life are all kind of at the crux of optimism. So we, you know, it's not just about not being sick, but what what I want to do is really help my patients live their best life. And that that doesn't mean just not being sick, because I think just not being sick gets you to zero. And what I want is people to go forward into the positive area. I want their lives to be 10s and 20s and in the positive area and just, you know, live fully. So that's kind of where my practice is going more so than just putting out the fires. It's taking it taking health into more of the well-being section. Well, I can't imagine anybody who wouldn't want you to be their internist. Do you do telemedicine (laughs) or just practice locally? No, I do, but the laws with telemedicine are getting so confusing now. There's every state has their own rules, but I do do telemedicine. Um, the, The problem is that it's just hard to manage with all these rules changing. COVID had made it very easy to do telemedicine across state lines, now they're kind of slowly changing, so each state has their own rules about it. 
and you so are in Maryland, here. is this correct? I'm For in Maryland, yes. might be yes. able to see you yes. in person. Yes. Okay, so yes. you can check that out, routewellness.com. So your chapter on exercise is called Euphoria of Exercise. Mm-hmm. And some people would take issue at that wording, although the alliteration is lovely. So uh, help <laughs> us get the sense of uh, exercise euphoria. So euphoria, I guess, is um, the reason we wrote that was because a lot of people experience that, not I, I've never experienced the runner's high, but it's one of those things where you feel an overwhelming sense of joy, um, euphoria when you are exercising. That takes a lot to do when you have to push yourself a lot. But what exercise does do is it raises our neurotransmitters that are associated with um, moods. So happy moods, good, you know, um, dopamine goes up and norepinephrine goes up. These are uh, these neurotransmitters that are actually make us happier. Um, serotonin goes up. You know, serotonin is kind of our happy juice. We use it for, as a prescription, we use drugs that are, you know, d- using that for depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive, eating disorder, so many things we use serotonin uptake inhibitors for. But it's 80% in our gut and we can induce it by exercise. So, you know, exercise is so powerful. It also is a great memory tool. It helps our memory so much. It helps our mood. It helps us sleep. So when we go back into our resources, you know, what do we, how can I combat um, my, my issues with all the stressors I have? You know, sleep is up there, really up in the front saying you've got to sleep because that's where our body heals. How do you sleep better? Well, if you exercise, you sleep better. So a lot of things come back to each other that they feed on each other. So exercise isn't just about cardiovascular health and losing weight. It's actually really important in keeping our bodies in balance keeping our mind and body intact and it helps us really age well because it preserves especially our brain and our memory. Love it. Now you talk about sleep debt. What is that? That's when you are supposed to sleep eight hours, but you sleep four hours or you sleep five hours. The debt would be three hours. So, you know, over time people accumulate large amounts of sleep debt where you're, I'm supposed to have eight hours, but this week I had six, you know, I had eight, you know, I had eight one day a week, but over time your debt increases. So you're more and more and more sleep deprived. And that is very detrimental. There were some studies that showed that, you know, uh, people driving with even a few hours of sleep deprivation, their ability to um, think clearly was the equivalent of someone who was intoxicated on alcohol. So their performance at their job, they're so delayed and, and, and reduced. Sleep really makes a difference. It's our detoxifier. It helps us to function better. It helps us to sleep, you know, think better. It also helps our sugar, our blood pressure. And at the, at the front of the, with all the food issues, it helps us make better choices with food. We don't we crave sugar when we're sleep deprived. Well, most of us do. Um, you know, we crave bad foods. We crave fats. We crave foods that are that are not good for us when we're sleep deprived because our brain wants a quick fix of energy. So sleep, um, working on sleep is so important for so many of the metabolic things that happen as we age, like prediabetes, like hypertension, you know, uh, memory loss. All of these things are really helped by restoring sleep. Cool. Now, we just have a few minutes left, but I love your subtitle of your chapter on superfoods because you say greens, beans, carbs. Oh, my. Wait a minute. (laughs) Carb, superfood. Most people think carb is a four-letter word in the bad way. 
clear that yeah. up for folks. Yeah, so real quick, you know, carbohydrates are grains and beans, whole grains, beans, lentils, legumes, um, vegetables and fruits. The things that are the most powerful for growing are good bugs in our gut. And at the end of the day, lifestyle matters and our bugs matter. So anything that we can do to grow our bugs and keep them as diverse as possible, diversity of gut bugs is really important. And all these carbohydrates, as long as they're good quality, they're not processed, they don't have a lot of junk in them, they're not loaded in sugar or fats, saturated fats, they're going to be helpful for us to grow that gut microbiome. They give us fiber. They give us the resources and the prebiotics to grow our good guys. And that, at the end of the day, is the end game, is to be as diverse as possible with our gut microbiome so that we can age and grow older gracefully. Perfect. Now, I see that um, you have suggested a final question to me, and I would like to honor that. And that is, what is one thing that the people listening to this can start doing today to lead an anti-inflammatory lifestyle? So I have evolved to this answer um, mostly because of the crisis that's happening all around us. Um, There's so many things out of our control, but I do think that keeping our mind in an optimistic, positive place will help us to take on a lot of these other things that we have talked about in the book. But to be positive, to be optimistic. And one thing I would have everybody start is to try to work on that and by starting by just writing three to four things that they're grateful for every day. That is so powerful. Either think it or just write it down or maybe a small small, uh, journal of the thoughts that are associated with why you're grateful for whatever you're grateful for. But three to four a day and in three, four weeks, your brain starts to change. You start to wow. look for the good. You start to do positive things for yourself, you know, and this this just helps you get on a path. And, you know, it, it, in this time frame, I think we need more joy. We need more kindness. We need more compassion. And this cultivates all of that. Well, and you have given that to everybody listening to this today. Thank you so much, Dr. Jyothi Rao. The book oh, is welcome. Body on Fire. I am grateful that you were my guest today. I'm grateful to Unity Online Radio and our wonderful engineer, Jeff. And I'm grateful to everyone listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.